Bitch, we gotta talk about Littler. <laughs> this is this is so wild. Welcome to Lawyers Behaving Badly. I am Jennifer Judge. I'm Karen Delaney. How are you, friend? I am great. And I think we'll get into our check-ins in a minute, but I don't want to gatekeep our major housekeeping updates that we have. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to save it. I was like building this the suspense here, letting it letting it percolate for a bit. Some we marination. Do, we have a couple of housekeeping matters to deal with straight off the bat. Um Number one, I want to shout out whoever assigned us as homework for their legal ethics class at Baltimore <laughs> Law School. <laughs> the idea that we are homework for the next generation of lawyers is truly astonishing and hilarious to me. And deeply so, terrifying, actually, when you think about it. <laughs> um. So that was really funny. One of your students DM'd us about an episode that they had to listen to and that they had some thoughts on. And that was really cool and entertaining. So thank you. Keep assigning us. Add us to the curriculum. Free content. <laughs> we're, we're happy to appear and do lectures via Zoom if you want. <laughs> yes, we make great. We're very entertaining guests in class. Um, and then... Of course, as always, we appreciate people leaving us reviews. That is extremely helpful to us. And we always appreciate it. And we're very gratified by it. And then the most important thing is that we've finally dropped some fucking merch. We it have... has been in the work so long. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> What's really funny, though, is that I ordered a bunch of t-shirts. And of course, I got um, Lawyers Behaving Badly t-shirts for both of my kids because I will fully pimp them out and I've already oh, yeah. sent them to school and they went to gymnastics in their little Lawyers Behaving Badly shirts last week. I wore one of my shirts to physical therapy yesterday, which was actually a really, um, I don't know, kind of a nerve wracking experience because it was like, <laughs> oh, I'm actually going to have to like own this publicly if anybody asks about it that doesn't already know me from LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever. And my physical therapist did say, she was like, oh my God, your shirt is so cute. And I was like, yeah, that's my podcast. We have merch. <laughs> and she goes, okay, well, anyway, <laughs> we're going to do six, we're going to do six minutes on the bike to get warmed up here. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, cool, cool, great. So you won't be listening? Okay. So we do have merch. It is um, at TeePublic, and we have dropped a link in the show notes. So if you would like any sort of paraphernalia, there are t-shirts. If you if you click on the designs and scroll down, you can pick from a bunch of different things like t-shirts, stickers, t -shirts, coffee tote cups, bags, yeah, coffee yeah, mugs, laptop stuff. cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. And you can also sort of customize um, a lot of like what background color you want for the design and all of that kind of stuff. So we have our merch. You can have merch. Go buy some merch if you want to. Show your pride. And it's not just lawyers behaving badly. There's several options. And then keep checking back because 
the the KPNI's uh, passion is graphic design, and so we <laughs> as will be extremely obvious when you see these designs. You're like, oh yeah, obviously, if this lawyer thing doesn't work out, they can go do graphic design. <laughs> we have really put some some effort into our Canva designs. Um, <laughs> But there will be more forthcoming as we as we brainstorm some new designs and as new new lines from our podcast drop. Um, we'll be adding designs, so check back often. Um, and we're very excited. I think my orders arrived today, and I'm so excited because oh, I will be wearing them around town as well. I, we need mm-hmm. to find something that'll like piss off everyone in South Lake for me to wear. So we need to think of something. Well, you do have a fuck book shirt. So I do. You, I you make one that says fuck, fuck book books. shirt. <laughs> Problem is the problem is that they probably would take it literally, and um, you they'd be like, be, "Yeah, burn those books." I know you would be a local celebrity for a yes. bunch of fascists, and that's not really what you want. So, um, but I will be wearing. You and I are supposed to have lunch with another girlfriend of ours who is still in house this Friday, and I uh, absolutely will be wearing oh some lawyers <laughs> behaving badly merch to that lunch. I will too, and we can just be like, "Oh no, we're hosts together." Um, we have a podcast that literally tens of people listen to. I don't know if you've heard about us. <laughs> we have made at least five to six dollars from our merch sales so far. <laughs> Gross. Don't ask us what the net is because it's literally like negative fifteen hundred dollars at this point. Turns out this shit is actually quite expensive, but we like doing it. Um, okay, so Yes, if you're interested in that, please go check it out. It's it's been really fun for us. We enjoy it and we're really thrilled to be sharing this stuff with you even though like I mean, you can google it. We probably make like a dollar or 2 dollars yes. off of everything we sell. It's it's really not a lot. It's more just because we think this is fun and funny and and we like having fun with you guys. It's been one of the uh, most enjoyable parts of this podcast so go yeah check it out. absolutely it's i was surprised how enjoyable it is to like interact with listeners and it's so much hear fun. feedback mm-hmm. i love it i love it and especially since we're doing shout outs we also have to shout out the peloton law moms group on facebook mm-hmm. which you and i have been members of for such a long time but there's so many um people in that group who have been so supportive of the podcast, making posts about it and ta- interacting with us about it and talking to us about it. And it's been um it's just really fun. I mean, I love being the center of attention anyway, so this just really scratches a, a big old itch. I mean, my ego is just loving this, so it's great. <laughs> my ego is like more feed me. <laughs> uh okay. So I have our hot toppy today, and we're actually doing a last minute switch because I had prepared an entire thing about our favorite short king, Dan Snyder. And instead, I'm sending that to you for the next episode we're recording because, bitch, we got to talk about Littler. (laughs) This is this is so wild. And we have to caveat it because I was like, well, I'm about to make things real awkward for JJ. (laughs) I don't know if... uh, you know, there are probably a lot of people who listen to us who have not bothered to look either of us up on I don't LinkedIn. know who, what this type of people, what this type of person is. I know. The I minute mean, I I'm, hear of someone, I'm like, I'm on the Google. I am checking. Yeah. I don't think people realize how nosy and st- like if you follow me or if you follow us on Twitter, if you follow me on Facebook, if you send me or on Twitter, if you send me a Facebook request, any of that kind of stuff, 
I am Googling you. If yeah, I can hear what your name is, mm-hmm. I will Google you immediately because I'm <laughs> curious and I'm nosy. Like, I think we have established that at this point. <laughs> like, here we are. This is what we do. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a secret. I think this is like episode 17 or 18. Like, we said this in the teaser like four <laughs> months ago. So it's no secret. Uh, but I don't know if... if um, everybody has looked you up. Would you like to share who one of your previous employers was? So slightly awkward, but yes, I worked at Littler for about four and a half years. I was an associate there um, prior to going in-house. So not only did I work at Littler for four and a half years, I worked at the Dallas office of Littler for four and a half years, where I have made some amazing friends and acquaintances and people I still absolutely love um, so I am very well acquainted with the majority of the people that have gone in and out of the Dallas office of Littler during this interim time period. So we'll just put that out there. Yeah. And I had to, I, I was thinking to myself, well, I hope I could imagine there are probably some people who are not going to be very thrilled that you are discussing this. But the fact is, is that like before this podcast is even published, because there's going to be about it's Wednesday, March 1st. So it's going to be about a week before this mm-hmm. comes out. This will be on Above the Law. It's going to be on Law 360. Like, we're not the only people talking about this. And obviously, we're you're not, not breaking talk- news here. No. Yeah, you're not breaking news. And obviously, you're not going to talk about anything that's confidential or that would betray trust or anything like no, that. No, absolutely not. There's a lot of public stuff to- going on about this. <laughs> we, we have, I, like, I've been like vibrating with excitement for the last 24 <laughs> hours. We had we had a mutual friend text us yesterday and say, please tell me you're going to talk about this on your next episode. And you and I are both like, wait, what? So- I know, we were like, what are you talking about? And then I yeah. Googled it and there was nothing, like there's been no news coverage yet. And so I Googled it and I was like, I don't see anything. And what happened was that Littler, uh, a couple days ago on... Let's see. Today was today's March 1st. It was February 27th. Filed a lawsuit against a former associate in the Dallas office named Uliana. And I am using her real name because not only did they file a lawsuit against her, she has been posting all over LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok. She's threatened to start her own podcast, Exposing Littler Partners. So my gal isn't shying away from the publicity I was about to say, we're not giving her the publicity that she's not seeking. This girl is out seeking publicity about this. (laughs) Right. My gal is out. She's put her name out there and and she's not trying to uh, keep her her identity in, in, in any of this confidential. But so Littler says that back in... November 2022, she, I believe, had been an associate in the Irvine office. Irvine office. Yeah, in the Irvine, Mm -hmm. California office. At some point, she moves to the Dallas office at her request. And I don't know if that was recent or what, but she apparently back in November 2022 made various complaints to Littler about inappropriate conduct by various Littler partners and also filed a complaint um, with DFEH in California, um, asserting various claims. She says that Littler basically didn't even investigate, that they immediately were just like, there's no there there. 
there are no facts to substantiate your claims. Sort of unclear what happens in the interim. There's reference to her having been on a leave of absence. Yeah, some sort of um, FMLA leave of absence, it looks like. <laughs> that's. I assumed it was either... It, it looks like it initially was maybe some sort of intermittent leave because mm-hmm. she apparently, according to Littler, she told them February 15th, I'm going on another leave of absence. Mm-hmm. Two days later, she says it's going to be full time. So the implication there is that it was intermittent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The same day that she tells them it's going to be full time leave, Littler's IT, I think this is a Friday night, Littler's IT department is notified that she's downloaded a large number of files from the firm's intranet to her work computer. And they're like, oh, shit. So they start investigating because why, like, if you are on leave, it's Mm -hmm. pencils down. You should not. Yeah, you're not working if you're on leave. That's kind of like a pretty easy employment law 101 kind of thing. Right. And and you should also know that if you are an associate at a law firm that purports to specialize in labor and employment law, you should probably know that when you are on leave, you do not work because, I mean, number one. In theory, you're not able to work. It may depend on exactly what the contours of your mm-hmm. leave are, but you may not be able to work. But number two, you need to get paid for the work that you do. So yes. you're yeah, not, and nobody wants to taking, pay you for that week of work that you're doing. Like, yeah, I mean, you're if you're working, then you're not on leave and you need to be compensated for mm-hmm. it. So it's like, why would you be downloading all of these files? Now, I, I can't fault somebody for wanting to do maybe ministerial cleanup stuff that you don't necessarily think is like work work. Like maybe mm-hmm. you're just trying to make your life easier and you're like, oh, well. Clean up my, my Outlook inbox. inbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like I've got all these a mishmash of files. But at any rate, she tells them I'm going to go on full time leave. Same day they discover that she's downloaded uh, 1800 files from the firm internet. And she's uploaded a bunch of zipped files to Dropbox. What's sort of confusing to me here is, from a timeline perspective, that they apparently have been, they've been having very contentious discussions with her. Mm -hmm. She has made these allegations of inappropriate conduct by firm shareholders. She has filed um, a complaint with DFEH. They don't, it doesn't look like they cut off her access or suspend her until days later. So that's the 17th. She uploads 1,800 files from the firm internet to Dropbox. Several days later on Sunday, the 19th, Littler's GC texts a letter to her where he says, Look, Littler's IT department notified us on Friday night that you downloaded over 3,000 client documents. Quote, if you have an explanation for your conduct, we need to know it no later than noon central on February 20, 2023. So it'd be Monday at noon, Mm -hmm. basically. After she gets that, according to Littler, she uploads 7,877 files to Dropbox. Yeah, like she, she she did the first round, and then she did like many, many more <laughs> as soon as she right. got that letter. It's like, oh shit, I don't. Have, oh like, shit, the door is closing. I better right. get these done. Right, like I'm not mm-hmm. going to be selective here. She writes back that night, 
about oh five and a half hours later, it's like 1130 at night, she writes back, Hi, this sounds like an attempt to come up with a pretext reason to terminate me, which just makes my case against the firm even better. And she basically says, well, I'm planning to use some of my remaining leave time to organize and clean up my Outlook and C drive that has too many emails and files at this point and to delete duplicative local files and also to save those that do not currently appear in the internet And she's like, the easiest way, I don't know, she has this whole thing about the easiest way to do that is to copy and paste all the files between the folders and get received, uh, get automatic notifications about which files are duplicative instead of, I guess, manually comparing these. Mm -hmm. Quote, I feel it benefits the firm if I make sure that all work files on my C drive are saved on the system and I don't take up unnecessary storage space. If your IT department has a better idea how to do it logistically, please advise. Otherwise, I consider this issue resolved unless you have anything further. Thanks. Which I need to go Google her because I can't remember how long she's been practicing. But I my, my mind kind of boggles about responding to the general counsel of your firm and saying, <laughs> I consider this issue resolved. <laughs> Bye. My favorite was she said, I consider this issue resolved. Thanks. Exclamation point. Like, okay, guys, have a good Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> Have a great rest of the weekend. Um, Star, you guys kicked off this flurry of like a forensic investigation, and you've probably been churning on this all weekend. I was about to say, haven't slept since Friday, and you found this out, and you're forensically investigating all of my moves. Bye, guys. Yeah, bye. (laughs) So that happens on the 19th. They wait, that's Sunday, they wait until the 21st, which is Tuesday, to say that they're placing her on unpaid administrative leave. Littler's GC demands access to the Dropbox and says, we're cutting off your access to all Littler systems. Littler also hires outside counsel at a Dallas law firm mm-hmm. called Lynn Pinkerhurst, which is a name that anybody in Dallas will recognize if you've been involved in civil litigation here. And the lawyer at that firm on the 22nd, so Wednesday, sends an email to Uliana and says that Littler's retained his firm in connection with your egregious legal and ethical violations, as well as violations of Littler's policies and breaches of firm and client confidentiality. Demand is hereby made that you immediately work with my client's IT department to ensure access to the Dropbox and your certification that you do not possess and have not further transmitted these documents. Additionally, my firm has been retained in connection with your threats to systematically and publicly defame Littler Mendelssohn PC and its partners on podcasts and social media. Demand is hereby made that you immediately retract such threats. And he gives her until four o'clock the next day to return all these documents that she's taken and to resolve all disputes with Littler. So it seems like there's kind of an oblique reference in here. Mm -hmm. He says something like there's a short window of time in which Littler is willing to resolve disputes with you. And Mm -hmm. so uh, that seems to be an oblique reference to like whatever we're talking about, about inappropriate conduct, like we're still willing to get this resolved, but we got to fix this shit with the documents first. She emails back the following day. This is an almost three-page, single-spaced letter 
Whitler has redacted all of it except mm-hmm. for a single paragraph. <laughs> Which I thought was interesting because surely not all of that is confidential, confidential. Mm-hmm. like trade secret information or something like that. But nonetheless, they've redacted all of it except for a single paragraph. Do you have this in front of you? Because I can text it to you. I think you should read it. I don't have it in front of me like oh, right now. Oh, I'm going to text it to you. Okay. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I read this. I cackled <laughs> my ass off because the odd. <laughs> Audacity. The audacity. <laughs> so again, this is from this is Juliana's response from a to a very well-known Dallas law firm basically being like, give us Littler's shit back. Hang on. Here's- a very well-known Dallas law firm that you hire when you know you're going to trial. Like that is what they do. They do yes. civil litigation. Like this is not a firm that you hire to settle things out. This is a firm that you hire when you want down and dirty litigation going to trial. Yes. So here is the single paragraph <laughs> that Littler has left unredacted in this nearly three-page letter from Uliana. I'll read it. <laughs> Let me make something clear. Absent a court order regarding same, I will not be providing Littler IT department or anyone else with my private account login info and access to my private files stored there. I have years worth of private photos and documents in there, among other things that I do not wish to have anyone peruse and to violate my privacy rights based on some false and defamatory accusation. Go to court, prove that I did anything wrong, get a court order, and I'll be happy to comply then. We both know this will never happen. (laughs) (laughs) She's basically like, hey, uh, I have, you know, I know that maybe I uploaded thousands of documents to Dropbox, but I have an idea, which is you can all go get fucked. She was like, we're going to play a game of chicken. And they're like, deal, we'll go do it. I know. Well, that's the thing is it's like, there are frequently disputes between lawyers and law firms about when a lawyer leaves a firm, you know, whether you take the client, what, what materials you can take, mm-hmm. if any, I mean, that is a very, very dicey area. This is not an infrequent dispute, but like if you have taken thousands and thousands of documents. I mean, they said 40 gigs worth of documents. Yeah. And they say somewhere it's like Mm 7,700 documents that they think that she's downloaded from the internet and uploaded to Dropbox. And it's like, that's not emailing yourself a motion for summary judgment so that you have a template. You know what I mean? Yeah. A publicly filed document that you have now as a template. What could you possibly be doing with 7,000 plus files? I was thinking about this. I was at Littler, like I said, four, four and a half years. I don't know if I ever created 7,000 documents in those four and a half years. If you took my entire repertoire there, that wouldn't be 7,000 documents. So, by necessity, she's if that's true, she's taking things that aren't her, you know, aren't hers to take by definition. Aren't her work product. And there's always mm-hmm. a question too of when you make something during your employment for a firm or a client, that doesn't mean that it's yours. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't mean that it's yours to take. That belongs to the client. Another and it employment sucks. law 101. <laughs> Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. but it's something that that people don't really think about. They think like, "Oh, I made it's mine. This. I made it." Yeah, it's mine. I mm-hmm. made it, and it's and it's really helpful to me. And I maybe need it for my practice in the future. It's like, 
Well, here's the thing, though. Your client paid for it. So actually, it's your clients. Mm -hmm. And that sucks, but it is kind of what it is. And so you also you always have to be extremely, extremely cautious about when you're leaving an employer taking anything, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you just have to really think that through. Um, and so the idea to me that you would take thousands of documents <laughs> and be like, fucking come and get them. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck are you going to do about it? Yeah, you're not going to do <laughs> shit. Uh, it's just really... Um, I don't want to say detached from reality because it may just be that she's not that familiar with things outside of employment law, but like mm-hmm. it's, it sort of defies reality to think that, that an employer would just be like, oh, sure. Okay. Like, never mind. Client- Go yeah, with God. Took- <laughs> yeah. You took confidential client information. Cool. I'm sure it's like, it's totally fine. You know, we don't need to worry about it. We don't have an obligation, an ongoing obligation. I was just about to say, we don't have an ongoing legal obligation to get these documents back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So she emails them back and basically says, go fuck yourselves in a separate email. She emails somebody that you and I both know, you know him better than me. Mm -hmm. Uh, who I believe is now the managing partner of the Dallas office and Littler's GC, and resigns via email. She says, I have no choice to resign from my position at Littler, effective immediately in protest of continuing mistreatment and unethical and illegal practices. The next day, the GC emails her, and it's a pretty measured email. And mm-hmm. he's basically like, look, we need to get your Littler stuff. You have a computer and a phone that were issued by Littler. We need them back. We need to get the documents you uploaded to Dropbox. You know, we'll come send a courier to get your Mm -hmm. physical stuff, but we're going to need to schedule a time with you for Littler's IT department to access the Dropbox because we have to know what exactly it was you took. We need to know if you made copies, if you sent it to anybody else. Because again, I mean, number one, to the extent that this is trade secret information that Littler has developed related to its own practices, they need to be able to protect that. Yeah. Number two, as we've discussed, if it's confidential client information, they have an ongoing obligation to their clients to figure out what happened, notify the clients, and mm-hmm. make attempts to limit further dissemination of this. This and not not only you know not only an ethical obligation as as their lawyers, but a legal obligation under you know various state data breach laws and things like that as well. Depending, well, depending yeah. on what was in there, right? Yeah. I mean, depending on what was in there, but yeah. Um, And they may have terms in various engagement letters. I mean, I know Mm -hmm. one of the things that I put in, for example, non-disclosure agreements is that if you ever have a data breach, you're going to notify the client ASAP. You're going to cooperate in uh, efforts to further limit dissemination of the confidential information to retrieve it, things like that. So they may have contractual obligations in their engagement letters mm-hmm. to these clients in addition to what their ethical obligations are or their potential state law obligations. Can you tell that both of us have been involved with <laughs> Let me just pull response. out my data breach <laughs> information. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. not to toot my own horn, but I helped form and lead the first data breach response team at my first in-house employer. So, you know, I mean, this stuff is like not... Not foreign to either yeah. of us. I was about to say, I uh, I learned all the data breach stuff when my employer had one, and we also had to yeah. f- investigate and respond. <laughs> uh, so he sends her this email, and 
I think she responds, oh, I, I didn't put it in here, but I think she responds again and she's basically like, no. So they filed a lawsuit against her in Dallas District, District Court for breach of contract, conversion, breach of fiduciary duty. Although I'm not sure, I guess it would be breach of fiduciary duty to the clients. I don't know that Littler's. I was wondering about that, that one. Do you can can does an associate owe a firm a fiduciary duty, and then would they have the standing so. to assert that on behalf of the clients? I don't know, but I breach of contract so. seems pretty pretty. Yeah, that's I mean, a much cleaner claim. <laughs> I'm I'm sure if we're wrong, somebody will contact us to de- to uh, correct us. But yeah. I mean, I think while the partners certainly have a fiduciary duty to the firm that arises simply out of a partnership corp- obligation, corporate, right. Yeah. It's a partnership obligation. Mm-hmm. That's corporate law. Employees don't, unless there's, you know, something more there. She certainly mm-hmm. has a fiduciary obligation to her clients. Yeah. So that's interesting. I'd like to know more about that. Um, they include claims for violation of the Texas uniform trade secrets act. They requested a temporary restraining order And they also filed a motion for expedited discovery, which for those who are not familiar with temporary uh, restraining orders and that kind of emergency practice, you usually ask for requested uh, expedited discovery because your TRO is only going to be effective for like 14 days. And then Mm -hmm. you've got to go get a a temporary injunction or permanent injunction. And in order to show up at that evidentiary hearing, you need evidence. But the problem is that typically you know, discovery takes 30 Mm -hmm. days or longer to get back. And if you are on the other side of a motion for expedited discovery and that the court grants it, that is a real bitch because it's a real bitch because it's, you've got, you've got about a week uh, to work on it because a TRO can only be 14 days generally. And Mm -hmm. you find out about it and then you're doing generally depositions and requests for production and interrogatories, you're jumping on a lot of marshalling your facts and evidence to hand it over to the other side. Yeah. And in the case of interrogatories, under oath. So Mm -hmm. it is a Mm -hmm. scramble. It's a scramble to get this stuff. Fortunately here, at least for her, the universe of documents and information should be somewhat limited, right? Yeah. I mean, you're not dealing potentially with years worth of stuff. We don't really know. But in any event, the judge on... February 28th, granted, she entered the temporary restraining order, granted Littler's request for expedited discovery, and for various requests, like requests for production interrogatories, she gave Uliana three days from the date of service to respond. (laughs) You think that was a judge that was really skeptical of a lawyer? Yeah. (laughs) Calendar days. Yeah. So like I said, when you're on the wrong end of this, it just sucks. Mm -hmm. Um. She's been ordered to preserve evidence. The judge also ordered Uliana to provide Littler's forensic experts access to this Dropbox account, her personal cell phone, any of her cloud-based storage accounts, all software and social media applications upon which confidential information may be stored within 48 hours of the order. So it's like, you better turn all your shit over. Mm-hmm. She has to allow their forensic experts to image all of that. So it can be provided for the to the court for in-camera review. And basically what the court has done is, you know, Uliana did express this concern about, well, I've got all sorts of personal stuff, mm-hmm. uh, pictures of my kids, pictures of me, personal information. I don't think it's appropriate to have to share that with the firm. So the court is having the forensic experts image this, get all of it, segregate out 
what is considered confidential information, whether it's Littler trade secret stuff or client confidential information from the personal stuff, provide it all to the court for in-camera review. And mm-hmm. then the judge is going to decide what ultimately goes to Littler and what gets returned to Uliana as her personal stuff as a way of mm-hmm. like protecting the Littler people from seeing her personal information. It's kind of like when we've talked about before, when there's like the FBI executes a search warrant on an attorney's office, there's the taint team that comes in and determines, you know, what's, what's privileged, what's responsive to the warrant. The judge is basically serving the same function here to prevent all this personal stuff from going over to Littler. Right. And then Uliana, of course, also has to tell, she's been ordered to tell Littler immediately whether she has sent any of that confidential information to a third party or whether, you know, she's destroyed any information, otherwise disseminated it. Uh, there is going to be, well, let me let me interject this first before we go there. So currently there's a temporary restraining order in place related to Uliana. Would you know that based on her social media, though? <laughs> well, I mean, the judge hasn't ordered her to stop talking about this. No, and I don't, but. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I will tell, and you know this already. Mm-hmm. I went through and I screenshotted every single one of her LinkedIn posts because I was like, (laughs) it would not surprise me if these get deleted at some point. Mm -hmm. But she has been posting up a storm initially on LinkedIn. And then she, I think, has started migrating over to Twitter and TikTok. But she posted a few days ago about, and I think this would have been after they filed the lawsuit, potentially after the TRO was entered, which again did not prohibit her from speaking. About no, it this. doesn't prohibit her from speaking. You would think she might be a little preoccupied though, because she was definitely on Twitter this morning. <laughs> but because she... I checked, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, "Good morning. What's she up to? Any new developments?" But she's been posting up a storm. She's been commenting even on when other Littler partners are making posts on LinkedIn, she'll go comment on their posts. Like there were a couple of Littler partners (laughs) who posted about Black History Month and um, I guess Littler produced something, maybe a video on YouTube related to Black History Month. And so Uliana commented on the partner who posted that saying, "Um, I would have preferred, I guess she, she claims that a shareholder uh, referred to other black colleagues as diversity hires. And so, and she complained about that. And so she says on this comment, you know, I would have preferred if Littler celebrated Black History Month by disciplining some of its shareholders who called their colleagues of color diversity hires. I complained about it, among other things, as part of my internal complaint in October 2022. But the Littler shareholder entrusted with the investigation of my complaint concluded that no discriminatory conduct had occurred. If I get word that any other Littler shareholder calls any employee of color a diversity hire ever again, I'll out them in social media and my upcoming Time's Up Littler podcast, in addition (laughs) to the ones that did it so far. Tune into my podcast next week to start learning about hashtag Littler abuse. Um, She also references in here at one point... Let's see. There's another Littler shareholder who posted about what employers can do to engage and retain employees in this job market. And she comments, I have a suggestion to retain associates. Stop mistreating them. 
<laughs> Did you know that the Littler Irvine office, since I started there in October of 2018, lost 16 or so associates, including me, out of approximately total of 25 to 30 associates they actually had? I believe I was either number 15 or 16 when I fled to the Dallas office. In contrast, I heard that Littler Cleveland office treats their associates like family. Kudos to those shareholders treating associates well. Thank you. At Littler, they're always hiring and offering to pay other associates 10K referral fee if they get any poor associate soul to come work there who would last a year or more. I am telling you, in my experience, having to endure some of these shareholders is not worth the money they're paying you. Run while can or demand a pay raise akin to a hazard pay for having to put up with those shareholders fight back. There also is a reference in here. I'm scroll. There are like a lot of posts, so I'm scrolling right now. And. Oh, here it is. So she up. She's been posting various updates to her LinkedIn. This is starting to remind me of the plot of one of my favorite movies, The Firm. I am Tom Cruise in this scenario, as you will see from the update below. Today, Littler made good on its threats to sue me if I did not settle and spoke up. Surprisingly, it was not about my social media posts, but rather Littler falsely accusing me of stealing thousands of client documents less than 48 hours after I refused to accept their last settlement offer of $275,000. I'll be providing further background shortly regarding this allegedly very serious cybersecurity and data breach at Littler. And then she talks more about how she's going to do a, pod a podcast about all of this. Uh, but my eyes jumped yeah. to that $275,000 yeah. figure because that is, I have dealt with a lot of employment claims in my time and uh, that's not a nothing burger. No, one year salary is not a nothing burger because she later clarifies that they offered her one year salary um, in exchange for settlement. That's not a, that's not a nothing first salvo to settle something. Yes. So that was interesting. Um, Here's the interesting thing to me when she talks about the alleged security breach and the alleged document theft. And it's like, okay, but you really either did or you didn't. Like the, <laughs> the records are there. So right. what was it? Um, so time will tell, I think. the I am so sad that I am going to be out of town for the TI hearing. <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to get to. Yes. Okay, so two, two thoughts. Let, we'll get to that. But I did have a thought about these documents, which is, and I think we tried to... We, we kind of touched on this earlier and maybe danced around it a little bit, but um, to my mind, and I, and I also have dealt with employees before taking information to their new, new employer. Oh yeah. I um, mean, that was when I started at my first company in-house, that was like 90% of my job. It happens a lot. I mean, it mm -hmm. happens a lot and people don't, regular people who are not licensed attorneys who practice employment law, uh, a lot of times don't again, just don't think about the fact that the things that they have made are for their employer. I mean, even mm -hmm. if they're not trying to steal confidential stuff to it use just it doesn't for occur a nefarious to them. purpose. Yeah. yeah, it just hasn't occurred to them. Like you can't, even though you made it, you can't take them. And we do live in a day and age when it is very easy to copy a lot of files at once. But the fact is, is that this is, this is too many documents in my mind for there to be a non-nefarious purpose. Mm -hmm. It's just too many. I mean, yeah. it'd be different. It'd be different if it's like, you know, she took 250 files and it was like, uh, 
pleadings that she'd done, briefs, our, our maybe firm templates on these firm things, templates, <laughs> memos. Littler has its own uh, proprietary program that I think you can pay for in details, various aspects of employment law for their clients. You know, if, if you were 50 taking state some surveys, of the, yeah, 50 like state that. surveys, <laughs> like stuff like that. Um, you know, ostensibly you should know better to take something like that. Like that very clearly seems to be like something that might be considered a trade secret. But mm -hmm. <clears throat> to me, there's a huge gap between I took a handful of things that would obviously be helpful in continuing my practice of law, even if I didn't have the right to take them. That just mm -hmm. seems like it errs and it strays into the territory of being an honest mistake. There's no nefarious purpose there. Compared to I've been in a contentious dispute with my employer about allegations of misconduct, discrimination, harassment by shareholders of the employer for months at this point. And I am bulk downloading thousands of documents. I'll be very curious to see if she raises a Defend Trade Secrets Act defense. Mm -hmm. um, and for those that aren't aware, there's a federal law that was passed several years ago called the Defend Trade Secrets Act, which basically federalizes your right to get into federal court if someone misappropriates or steals your trade secrets. Um, if it's an employee or ex-employee, there is an exception to that and a defense if you were taking that information for the purpose of whistleblowing to a government or a government authority or giving it to your lawyer to aid in the purpose of essentially whistleblowing. Um, do, you and, know, do you know if that applies to the Texas Uniform Trade Secrets Act? I mean, I would I would expect that there's some. Yeah, it preempts all of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, very interesting. Very interested to see how she. And it should and, be. I mean, it should be if I, I didn't. I'll be honest. I didn't read the. Um, like confidentiality agreement that she signed that Littler attached to the agreement, but that should be a controlling part. You know, the language is required to be in your confidentiality agreements at this yeah. point. Um, so it should be in there. Um, but I'll be very curious to hear if, you know, she's like, oh, I'm whistleblowing with this. And yeah. then that's a whole other issue. So the temporary injunction hearing is here in Dallas. Yes. On March 17th. And you unfortunately will be... In Cabo. On spring break. Yes. <laughs> oh, you poor, poor you. <laughs> I know. I, I wish I could be in Dallas, but instead I'll be in Cabo. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the temporary injunction hearing is on March 17th. That is going to be an evidentiary hearing. There should be testimony and documents. Yes. I am... Yeah, for those that aren't aware, so TI excited. hearings are basically like mini trials. Yes, so yes. It's a mini it's, trial. It, it's a mini trial. <laughs> I can't fucking wait. <laughs> <laughs> I need all the updates, like all the, I'm putting it out here publicly. Like I need all the updates while you're there. <laughs> I know. Well, so I am going to, I probably shouldn't, uh, I probably shouldn't disclose my whereabouts in advance. This is like social media 101, but yeah, I, I, I threw that out there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for blowing up my spot. Uh, yeah, I know I'll be in there in like a fake mustache and like a <laughs> <laughs> glass. <laughs> Don't mind me. Just a man doing man stuff. Um, oh shit, dude, we are already at forty eight minutes. I know. I was. I just reshuffled our topic, so we're good. Okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, I am depending on what else is going on that day, and my kids not being sick, and all that kind of stuff. 
I am going to go park my happy ass in that courtroom because I like, I mean, number one, watching this kind of stuff is always very interesting. It's always interesting. And it's, I mean, it's good lawyers on one side. I can't wait to see the shit show that is her side and what that is. So I'll be very, I would be very excited to hear about it. Yeah, I know. If she doesn't hire counsel or get somebody to represent her pro bono, it might be a very short hearing, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, the smartest thing she could do is agree to enter into a temporary injunction with them and just obviate the need for a TI hearing because Mm -hmm. I don't see any scenario in which a TI hearing goes well for her. Um, And I certainly would not want to be an officer of the court in front of the judge explaining why I took thousands and thousands of documents. Nope. Couldn't be me. Yeah. (laughs) This goes back to what we've talked about many times before. Like what's your fallback plan when you do something like that? And perhaps something happens to your license. Like, I'm selling feet pics if my <laughs> something happens to my license to practice law. Like, what is your fallback plan when you are allegedly taking client information that you're not entitled to? Well, I don't know, because, I mean, we say that, but after having done nearly 20 episodes for this podcast, like, mm-hmm. what do we think is going to happen to her license? Honestly, yeah, do we maybe really she'll think be our deep dive in a year and a half. <laughs> do we really think she's going to get disbarred? I don't think yeah. so. I would, I mean, I would guess at most probably like a retroactive suspension or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Maybe a suspension of a couple of months, but assuming she doesn't have any other disciplinary history. And that's probated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to imagine that she's like going to lose her license over something like this. Um, but we also do know from experience that the bars tend to come down harder when you embarrass the profession because they're like, yes. hey, don't let everybody else know that there are like shitheads out there that are lawyers. Exactly. Like, don't do that. We- <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We are all upstanding, wonderful people that no one screws up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay. Now that we've basically... What should we do? Should we save yours for another episode? Or I saved one. So yeah, so what we were going to do this episode was I had two like mini topics. Um, One was shorter than the other. I'm going to save the mini, mini topic. Um, And we'll save that for our next episode or the episode after that is a hot topic. Okay. Um, So we are just going to do now the one um, (laughs) since already 50 minutes into our podcast. We're just going to do the one other topic that I had, which is something that came across um, my radar from another tip um, from a listener this week. And actually, like, I I had a little bit of writer's block for this episode. Like, I had a bunch of, like, little mini things, but nothing major. And then I think Monday night, this came across my radar from a tip. And And it was so good. You and I were texting about it. So I I do want to tell you. I didn't actually go read the complaint once. I mean, I I saw a couple of the quotes or whatever that were on Twitter and I laughed my ass off. Uh, But I didn't go read the complaint because by that point you were like, I'm going to take this one for Thursday. And I was like, great. I am going to maintain a pristine. (laughs) uh, I want to be able to react and all that kind of stuff with a with a pristine, clean slate. So I'm very excited. I am. So. Here's what's happened. We found out about this complaint. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> what's that? I don't want to tell you. <laughs> Just keep going. I was misbehaving, being rude. <laughs> I found this complaint about a company. So 
Our main topic this week is going to be about Black Rifle Coffee Company. Can you Um, ask me, you're probably going to ask me this anyway, but can you please ask me how I know about Black Rifle Coffee? How do you know about Black Rifle Coffee? So they were not on my radar until shortly after my 40th birthday. And... Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I know about your 40th birthday. (laughs) For those who don't know. I For years before my 40th birthday, I wanted to have, like, a huge blowout birthday party. I wanted, like, a taco truck. I wanted all my friends there. Like, we were going to live this up and have a really great time. Here's what I got for my 40th birthday instead. <laughs> uh, I got a global pandemic, so we weren't doing shit with other people. And... I was born on January 6th, so I got an insurrection aimed at overthrowing (laughs) the government of the United States. And uh, I remember it's such a funny contrast. Uh, I've heard this before about like when you slip into authoritarianism and other like basically collapses of society and governments, you still have to go about your daily lives. And so Mm -hmm. it's January 6th. I've been glued to the television all day texting i have a group of girlfriends from my law school that i like we still have a a group chat going on like texting just frenetically with them all day because we're all Mm -hmm. i mean everybody obviously is just like a gas like on twitter really dialed into like holy shit they're trying to assassinate congressional leaders take down the government of the united states overthrow this election but it's my 40th birthday. So like my mom, <laughs> my mom went and picked up Maggiano's and brought it over to the house. <laughs> so we're all like, are we going to have a government in a week? But this pasta is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I know Black Rifle Coffee is because I think some of the most chilling images that came out of January 6th and that probably I have ever seen as it relates to the government of the United States was of a man who was in head-to-toe black tactical gear in chambers of, like, the House mm-hmm. of Representatives. Mm-hmm. There are multiple pictures of this guy. I can't he's remember. He's got zip ties. That's I'm it. sure for, he's zip ties carrying, for a very peaceful purpose. He's carrying zip ties. And that was mm-hmm. that's what was just bone-chilling about those pictures is because mm-hmm. that was so sinister. And it's like, it's one thing to do your little dress up cosplay. Tactical. On. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I think this guy ultimately was a bartender from like mm-hmm. Nashville or something. So it's one thing to do your little dress up cosplay, like pop off your guns on the weekend sort of thing. But tell me what you were doing in the Capitol building with zip ties dressed in, in tactical gear. Mm-hmm. He had. He was either wearing a Black Rifle Coffee hat or he had Black Rifle Coffee patches. Yes. It was a hat. Mm -hmm. And so that, like, as they're trying to hunt this guy down and identify him, which they ultimately did, um, that was one of the things was like, oh, he's got Black Rifle Coffee gear. And I was like, Black Rifle Coffee? Uh, And went and Googled it. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's a very long story of (laughs) how I know about uh, Black Rifle Coffee. This um this episode is really like when <laughs> we've joked about this description before. This episode is really when two women with untreated ADHD just kind of like <laughs> get together and chat. <laughs> well, because I lost the 
Instagram password, recovered it. Then we lost the <laughs> Gmail password. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, how does this shit keep happening to us? And we were like, well, what do you think? <laughs> Look at us. Look, Look at, at us. us. <laughs> Black Rifle Coffee. Yeah. Okay, so, so if you aren't aware, you basically summed up their entire you know, vibe as a coffee company. They were founded in 2014 by this guy, Evan Hafer, who is a former Green Beret. And he formed this coffee company that was direct to consumer, um, you would order it. It was a mail order coffee company, essentially, and you would order subscriptions. Um, his first product was called Freedom Roast. And <laughs> America, the, yeah, it was America, Roast. fuck yeah. Because <laughs> I drink my expensive coffee. And that's the other thing that gets me about, I'm not going to be able to stay on track today. That's the other <laughs> thing that gets me about these like military cosplayers is they want to go on about, you know, the Democratic elites are so out of touch. And it's like, my guy, you're driving a $50,000 pickup truck and you've got mm-hmm. tens of thousands of dollars in man toys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> they have Freedom Roast. Um, now their new names of their other roasts are Freedom Fuel, <laughs> Murdered Out Roast, AK-47 roast, and my favorite, Thin Blue Line roast. Oh, my God. (laughs) America, back the blue. (laughs) And they don't say when you order the Thin Blue Line roast, when they deliver it, if it storms into your house and shoots your dog, but you need an (laughs) adult at checkout. Oh, my God. (laughs) I take back what I said about leaving us a review. Don't don't worry about it. (laughs) I have some views. (laughs) In for a penny, in for a pound, bitch. Let's go. <laughs> so, Black Rifle. Obviously pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun, pro-police, pro-President Trump. They first kind of surged to notoriety when Trump ordered the first uh, Muslim immigration ban. And they posted a blog post, which has since been deleted, supporting the Muslim travel bans and all their iterations, essentially. Um, then when Starbucks, in response to the ban, announced that they would hire 10,000 refugees, Black Rifle responded with a pledge to hire 10,000 veterans. And I think it says something that you inherently think, or you think that a pledge to hire refugees worldwide is somehow an inherent insult to veterans. Um, uh, so, what, yes, ahead. that too. But also, it completely ignores the makeup of the military forces. There are a number of non-citizens who mm-hmm. uh, are in our militaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. And who serve not- our militaries. And we're also aided all over the world by people who are not translators yes and who become (laughs) refugees by virtue of their relationship with our military forces and providing assistance to the united states like that's one of the reasons we have so many afghan refugees or they're at the top of the list i mean it's not it's not the reason we have so many afghan refugees i I miss there's there's a pretty big reason (laughs) well there's yeah there are lots there's pretty big reason but like some of the people who are supposed to be at the top of the list are people who have been assisting our mm-hmm. like the United States and armed forces in Afghanistan and other places across the world. So like that to me, um, 
almost seems in a way it's like white supremacist ideology because you are whitewashing veterans, you are whitewashing the armed forces by, again, to your point, suggesting that somehow these two things are like mutually exclusive. Yeah, exactly. They um, At the time of the pledge that they were going to hire 10,000 veterans, they had 50 employees and now they have a few hundred. So apparently they're just taking their time. Yeah. on this pledge. By the way, in 2013, Starbucks, with the assistance of the Department of Defense, pledged to hire 10,000 veterans, and they did that in three years. So it's even if you want to fault Starbucks, they've already done that. Yeah, like they they had an entire push. Um, I'm going to skip through some of the stuff just because I don't want this to be an hour and 45 minute. Episode. Well, I mean, if it's good, we got to get to yeah. it. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to get to it. Um, Evan Hafer once had an AMA on Reddit and ask me anything. Is he the CEO? And yeah, he's the CEO and the founder. And it backfired so spectacularly that the threads themselves were deleted. And so the only way to find them, um, I basically searched heaven and hell and found like snippets <laughs> of them because I'm so fucking nosy. Um, also, but it's, we've, we've honed these skills over yes. years of practice. <laughs> the internet it's, doesn't forget. The, it's pretty safe to say that Redditors are not a large percentage of Black Rifle Coffee's uh, customers, and they were not buying anything that Evan Hafer was selling. Um, he talked about how, quote, ill-informed Jack Assery continues to sweep the nation, so there has to be an equal balance of patriots who are informed. And with patriots, he was referring to MAGA Trump supporters. This of was course. in 2017. Um he, to your point about whitewashing, he said we should, quote, let the country of immigrants catchphrase go, take some pride in being from a country that was founded on our ideals. What ideals were those specifically? Because Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why I'm always so amused by questions that are like, if you could time travel back to any time, what would it be? None. Yeah. Exactly. None. None. <laughs> So I can be substantially worse off than I am now. No, thank you. Yeah. By a bunch of people, like at the hands of a bunch of people who thought the earth was flat and didn't brush their teeth. No, thanks. <laughs> my This was my favorite quote with him. Um, Anyone with a brain knows that a president cannot do everything on his own. Donald Trump knows this, which is precisely why he has surrounded himself with smart and competent patriots. Ugh, okay. <laughs> and all those smart and competent patriots that are now in jail and facing federal charges. Right. Um, they actually stepped in it when Kyle Rittenhouse was, that went down and he was released from jail pending his trial. He was wearing a Black Rifle Coffee Company shirt and people were speculating that he was sponsored by the company. And Evan Hafer came out and said, actually, no, we're not sponsoring him we are not, this is not a formal agreement, and we would in no way try to profit from a tragedy like this, which is a fairly respectable measured statement that I was not expecting. Mm -hmm. um, Black Rifle Coffee Company customers lost their fucking shit over this. <laughs> well, they've also, at some point subsequent to the comments, and you, you may be headed this way, but at some point subsequent to these comments, like, uh, they have tried, and I think it was after January 6th, they tried to distance themselves from, you know, mm -hmm. all the insurrectionists who were, who were like, um, when I go storm the Capitol today, I'm definitely wearing my black raffle coffee gear. Yes. And they made, they made a bunch of comments that were like, those people have no place in our business. And if we could kick them out of our customers, we would. And all these people like absolutely lost their fucking minds and were mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, making videos throwing away their black rifle coffee gear which by the way conservatives 
destroying or throwing away products from companies that they have determined are now too woke. Like that is that they have already purchased. It's 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 (laughs) that that is one of my kinks. If there's an OnlyFans yeah. dedicated to that, I would pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> These were the people that were doing it. One of them was like, my husband is pissed. He said his election was stolen away by Democrats and now they've stolen his coffee. <laughs> and <laughs> there Now he's going to have to go drink Folgers, that woke grocery store coffee <laughs> brand. Turns out Black Rifle Coffee is just the deep state. And then... <laughs> My favorite is, and just like that, you have to change your name to LGBTQ Snowflake Coffee. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All because they're like, I don't know. I don't know if we want to be associated with this kid who like drove to a different city and murdered people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so they went public several years ago via a SPAC process. Essentially they were purchased by a SPAC, um, a special acquisition company that's made just for purchasing companies and then bringing them public for an IPO. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is where I kind of Googled black rifle coffee company and it got very interesting. And so we're going to go on a little side tangent now because one of the investors in black rifle prior to their IPO was called 1791 management LLC. And they're a basically a hedge fund. Um, and they're operated by a man named Jonathan Wallentine. Um, Jonathan Wallentine is a character who lives in Newport Beach. And are you Googling him right now? <laughs> no, but I was like, okay. seven, 1791, that definitely sounds like... Uh, uh, words are failing me at the moment. But it yeah. definitely sounds like some company named by somebody who's like we got to take back America. And so I was, I actually just Googled 1791 American history. Uh, <laughs> and on December 15th, 1791, the the new United States of America ratified the Bill of Rights. So clearly that okay. had just like flown out of my brain. Yeah. So that's probably what that's named after. But yeah, he has a Twitter account. He is, uh, he posted a tweet earlier this month that said, just filed a new charter airline with the FAA. Passengers will be required to know the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. If you can't recite the Bill of Rights, you can't fly MAGA Air. FYI, not joking. So this is the guy. Um, They have sued Black Rifle Coffee and one of their major investors engaged capital, alleging securities fraud, breach of contract in the IPO process. It's very technical allegations um, about whether Black Rifle squeezed out minor investors and whether there were conflicts of interest in how Black Rifle gave executives preferred stock options at a time when the stock price was high. And then once it dropped, you know, all this kind of stuff, very technical. That's not the important part. Um, What's important is that it introduced me to Wallentine and the 1791 Another another thing that they did was they sent a letter to one of the directors on the board of directors of Black Rifle Coffee, um, t- and the letter was titled Obama Rifle Co- Company, <laughs> and it's as a Black Rifle public shareholder and as you, a director of the company, we both know the company operates a decidedly political company with a corporate image built on conservative politics. However, you are a prominent Chicago Democrat former appointee to the Obama-Biden administration and former appointee to the Clinton administration. 
And so he's claiming that he is a serious risk to the future success of the company and must resign as director of the company as a result. So cool. this is the kind of stuff we're dealing with. Cool. I wasn't able to get the pleadings to many of these lawsuits. I'm sure they're a shit show. Um, But what this introduced me to was that John Wallentine has many hobbies. And one of those hobbies is setting up fake law firms. What? Wait, what? Yes. He has set up a fake firm named Hittleman Strunk, complete with a fake law firm website. And so if to you go what? to- If you go to- Don't you Google it. I'm going to tell yes, you. Yes, I am Googling <laughs> it. I have to. <laughs> if you go to the Hittleman Strunk website, they talk about how they're investment and securities legal support services. And so mm. they say that they are finding and sourcing injured- uh, customers or injured stockholders to Black Rifle Coffee Company so that they can file a class action, securities class action against the company. Um, and so they talk about it at the very, very bottom of the website. It oh, says, can I read it? Yes. What? This doesn't even make any fucking sense. We are not a law firm. Law <laughs> firm services is what we do. <laughs> If you go to the news section, there's a press release that, quote, Hittleman Strunk announced an investigation into Black Rifle Coffee and encouraged investors to inquire about a securities class action. And so in that, it says why Hittleman Strunk, a securities firm, announces an investigation of potential securities fraud claims on behalf of shareholders of Black Rifle Coffee, resulting from allegations that BRC breached their fiduciary duties by prioritizing their own interests when they announce redemption of all outstanding public warrants, blah, blah, blah. But then they say, why Hittleman Strunk? We encourage investors to select qualified counsel with a track record of success in leadership roles. Often, firms issuing notices do not have comparable experience and resources. Many of these firms do not actually litigate securities class actions. Be wise in selecting counsel. I was going to say that makes it sound like they do litigate claims. So they don't. Um, there's a bunch of articles about Hittleman was a lawyer who represented Wallentine's ex-wife uh-huh. in their divorce proceedings. And Strunk apparently was a partner at his former family law firm. So Wallentine explained in these that um, he said some of his employees purchased the HittlemanStrunk.com domain in 2019 to cheer him up after his nasty divorce with a plan of aggregating and posting unflattering consumer reviews of Hittleman that they found on the internet. I said, no, you can't it w- because it would only hurt the terrible situation I was in. At the time, I wasn't even leaving my house. I w- they were worried about the terrible things I was having to go through and they were just trying to cheer me up. So then they take that domain and basically form this fake law firm and use it just to muckrake against Black Rifle Coffee. <laughs> huh. Okay. Weird. Um, so I was just glad that they introduced me to this character throughout my Googling, but I've been burying the lead because we've been talking about the complaint and now one hour and 11 minutes into our podcast. <laughs> I know. I'm like, chop, chop, bitch. We got to move things along here. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting to the, the grand the grand finale of this. Um I do want to pause and warn listeners that we'll be making some sexually explicit references from here on out. So if you are listening with kids in the car, or kids around, you may want to pause or put on some AirPods because... I mean, if you're listening with kids in the car to us, I would like you to identify yourself in the first place because I want to know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, buyer beware. <laughs> um So this lawsuit was filed in 2018, but it just came to light this month. And I think it is in part because 
John Wallentine found the pleading and posted it on the internet. Um, pleadings that are filed in Utah doesn't make its court records publicly available on the internet. The only way to find them is to go to the courthouse, which by the way, it's a real pain in the ass when you're trying to be nosy and create these talk, these segments. I need some pleadings, folks. Let's get these states to get these pleadings up on the internet. Well, yes, that's a real problem for those of us who are nosy, but it also uh, is a way to subvert kind of public oversight. I mean, judges, Mm -hmm. the judiciary, they are supposed to be serving us. But it is extremely difficult to determine how they are doing that if, A, you have to log on to PACER and pay a shitload of money to get these pleadings, or if the pleadings are not even publicly available and you have to schlep your ass down to a courthouse and actually ask a court, like a court clerk, to make copies of them. I mean, obviously, you and I can't get down to Utah Mm -hmm. to go get copies of stuff. Although you do know, I'm not going to get too into this, but you do know that I have called a clerk in Massachusetts before and been like, hey, would you fax me this? Because I really want to see it. And they were like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) All it takes is asking nicely sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) They were so confused, but I was pretty nice on the phone. So she was like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) So this lawsuit was filed by a former executive at Black Rifle Coffee. His name was Brandon Roper. And here is what happened according to him. He was hired in the middle of July 2016 to work at Black Rifle. Um, And that is about two years after the company was founded. So pretty young company at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, That was in the middle of July. On July 30th, Roper and Evan Hafer, the founder and CEO, competed in a handgun shooting competition at a gun range. In that competition, Roper took first place and beat Hafer. And if you remember, Hafer is a former Green Beret, really prided himself on his marksmanship. Um, So he was allegedly not happy that Roper beat him in this contest. And as a well-adjusted man with no toxic masculinity issues, Hafer began a months-long crusade against Roper um, to basically ruin him as a result of this shooting competition. Allegedly. I mean, I just, we have to be so super clear. Yeah, allegedly. These are allegations. Allegedly. Mm Mm-hmm. A few months later, as part of his job, Roper alleges that he had to strip down into his underwear as part of a work, quote, marketing video, and the company digitally altered the image to make it look like he was naked. Um, by the way, this is a coffee company, again, so I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> I, and maybe you're saving this as a twist or something, and I'm just, like, completely ruining everything. Have you said what Brandon Roper's position was with Black Oh, no, we're coffee? getting there. We're getting there. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the video, Roper had to pretend to do sit-ups in a room with various other naked men who were apparently having a, quote, hot dog party. And uh, Roper's... <laughs> Roper I mean, query, says, qu- query whether that's always the case when a bunch of men are in a room together, but continue. Yeah. <laughs> and he says the point was basically to make fun of gay men, um, you know, because being gay is bad and toxic masculinity is good. Ha ha. So... He's in this video. Later that month, Hafer calls Roper into his office at work. And I'm assuming at this point, Roper thought it would be a normal work meeting because he wasn't alone in the office with Hafer. There were several other employees there. Um, But it was not a normal meeting because allegedly Hafer stripped down completely naked in front of everyone in the room and basically turned to Roper and stood there staring at him naked during the entire meeting. Um, At and again, these are just allegations, but we're yeah. also 
Like, these guys are just supposed to be roasting some coffee beans. Like, what the fuck? They're just selling coffee. (laughs) Like, I'm trying to imagine me being in a meeting and the CEO just strips down naked and starts holding, like, eye contact with you. What the fuck do you do? (laughs) Yeah. Roper decided the right thing to do was probably avert his eyes and continue work conversations with the other meeting attendees. (laughs) Okay. Allegedly. But... What has has happened to perceive, like, what has happened before this that leads you to concluding, like, whatever, he's just going to stand there with his dick hanging out, but we're going to continue the meeting. (laughs) Like, there he goes again, stripping down naked. whipping his dick out. It's just Evan doing Evan things. Like, we got to get through these KPIs and figure out where we're going to, like, we're we're seeing... Supply chain disruptions because of global warming, (laughs) sourcing our beans. Like, we got to get ahead of that. And hopefully Evan at some point is going to put his penis away. Like, (laughs) this is so confusing. (laughs) This is the one that you really liked that we talked about and giggled about. (laughs) A few days later, Roper and Hafer are working alone together in a conference room. Allegedly, Hafer, out of the blue, (laughs) turns to Roper and says, why don't we close that door and butt fuck the shit out of each other? You and I could not stop laughing. I mean, <laughs> I, I've worked in a lot of really messed up places. I have, I'm an employment lawyer. I've seen a lot of really, really messed up things. You and I have seen some shit, but I've never heard of anybody being like, why don't we butt fuck the shit out of each other? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not unusual. Like, we've definitely seen, we saw, well, actually we may have edited this part out of the Dan Snyder, one of the Dan Snyder episodes. I can't remember if it made it in or not, but like, it's not unusual to weaponize homosexuality to harass people in the workplace. Right. I mean, that's been going on for a really long Mm -hmm. time. Uh, I just have never heard somebody suggest that we butt fuck the shit out of each other. (laughs) Out of the blue. (laughs) Out of the blue. And what do you think would have happened if Brandon was like, yeah, Sure. Do it. All right. Shut the door. Yeah. <laughs> I'll clear my calendar. That's fine. I've been waiting for this day. Yes. <laughs> Roper decided the right thing. Uh, at that point, he turned down the tantalizing offer and said the meeting continued in, quote, awkward tension. And I think that would be an understatement. Mm-hmm. Um, a few weeks later, and this is all, by the way, like just a few months after starting at Black Rifle, Hafer began calling Roper a, quote, mountain Jew because he was Mormon and said that apparently mountain Jew is a slur for Mormons. And I have never heard that one before. I'll be honest. I think that's probably because you and I are not plugged into the Utah scene, but it's like, okay, so uh, he's homophobic. He is alleged. He's allegedly homophobic. He's Mm -hmm. allegedly exposing himself without consent to his subordinates. Uh, He's also allegedly an anti-Semite and is also allegedly biased against Mormons. Like this guy just sounds like a real peach. Oh, it gets better. (laughs) Eventually Roper decides to stand up for himself and he officially complains to the COO and Hafer and told them that he expected to be treated more professionally and respectfully. How do we think Hafer (laughs) responded to this? Oh, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really well. He basically told him not to say another word or else he'll be fired, and then tasked Roper with becoming the head of HR and building out the HR department. 
So that is how he got that position. And basically he was like, you want to be the fucking head of HR? You be the head of HR, oh, allegedly. I didn't realize that. So I thought he started mm-hmm. as the head of HR and this mm-hmm. guy's like allegedly whipping out his dick and like suggesting mm-hmm. they butt fuck the shit. Okay. Um, I think, I think if you're ever in that kind of environment and somebody's like, you want to, you want to be such a sissy man, baby. And not do naked stuff at the office, then you be head of HR. You should probably just walk out an open window. (laughs) (laughs) Just turn around and don't look back. (laughs) Yeah. As Roper was getting up to speed as the head of HR, he spoke with many of the company employees and many of those employees complained to Roper that Hafer was sexually harassing them and that the military style management model enforced by Hafer was replete with sexual harassment and racism. Um, So we've talked about this before. You're the head of HR at this company. Everyone is complaining about the CEO and the founder, and you know you need to do something, but how much can you feasibly do at this point when the person who determines the company's culture is the one that everyone's complaining about? And so that's the dilemma Roper faced. He attempted to explain to the CEO and to Hafer that Hafer's actions were putting the company at legal risk because he was creating a hostile work environment for multiple employees, which is a very fair um, explanation to them and basically saying, you know, the company is at risk as a result of your actions. And again, do we think Hafer responded well to this feedback as well? Well, no, because I'm guessing that he doesn't see a distinction between himself and the company. Like he's founded the company. And mm-hmm. a lot of times, um, you know, there are plenty of people who you may have this corporate entity, but like, it's not r- real it's in not their you. mind. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. they are mm-hmm. the company. Mm-hmm. Hafer told Roper to contact the Black Rifles attorney and have her draft an employee contract that, quote, allows me to do whatever the fuck I want to an employee without being sued by them. <laughs> <laughs> this place sounds great. It sounds great. And it's Somehow, also one of those things we talk about, like, there's this one cool trick that keeps you from ever <laughs> being sued by an employee. Have them sign a contract that says it's okay to do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> Somehow Roper is still there at Christmas time for their bonuses that year. Hafer built out custom handguns for the entire executive team Jesus for everyone Christ. except for Roper. And so, oh no, (laughs) that sounds like retaliation. Oh, it wasn't. Wait, they they decide to make it real clear about this. So when Roper mentioned this to the COO, the COO told him that Hafer intentionally denied Roper a Christmas bonus because Roper complained about the CEO's actions and was quote too emotional. And (laughs) so you don't get a cool gun. And in case the retaliation still wasn't clear enough, later that night, Hafer told Roper that he didn't receive the custom handgun because he, quote, cried like a pussy. (laughs) (laughs) I, um, like you and I said, like, we've seen some shit, but I also, my first in-house experience was at a large public company. My second in-house experience was at a smaller private but still nationwide retailer um and it boggles my mind that stuff like this happens Mm -hmm. like what who (laughs) i'm so my my brain is just like melting out of my ears right now oh well then stay tuned because (laughs) oh my god (laughs) 
<laughs> Later, the executives eventually force Roper to go to a strip club with them and make him endure basically um, you know, private dances. And Matt Best, allegedly one of the f- other founders and EVPs, publicly teases Roper in front of the office for never having had anal sex with a woman. And basically they're teasing about how, how he's so gay because he won't perform anal sex, which is actually kind of funny in my mind. <laughs> I <laughs> I don't see the connection, but it could also be because this all of this has just turned my brain to complete yes. gibberish. And the other thing is, is it's like, you know what? Never mind. Okay, continue. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I'm not going to go there. Go ahead. Eventually, the company removes Roper from HR because he was constantly chastising middle and upper management for their workplace behavior. And is often the case, this was a precursor to Roper being fired, which he was. And so you're thinking right now, okay, well, he was fired. He filed this lawsuit. That's the end of that. No, that's not actually what happened. Roper, after he was fired, negotiated a severance that would have resulted in about a $700,000 payment. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. So he signed the agreement. And then literally the next month, Black Rifle told him that they would not be paying him anything. (laughs) And so... Uh, on top of all of the discrimination and harassment retaliation claims, we want to make sure we can add a breach of contract claim in there, too. <laughs> Roper tells Black Rifle that he considered this a breach and that he was going to file a lawsuit against them alleging breach, re- harassment, hostile work environment, discrimination, retaliation, the whole host of things. Um, again, how give me your Evan Hafer. How does Evan Hafer react to this? I'm butt-fucking the shit out of this lawsuit. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It did... uh, This is not related to what you're saying, but I think in reaction to um, our Commanders episode, uh, I think people, like, sometimes outside of employment law, if you haven't seen some shit, like, we're probably kind of casual about things that other people (laughs) might not be. (laughs) But... In any event, I am sure Evan responds extremely professionally. Hafer and the GC of Black Rifle meet Roper in person to discuss. They meet in the front of Black Rifle's office building one day. Hafer, allegedly, was wearing his gun in an unlocked holster at his hip, and he rested his hand on his gun as a, uh, Roper walked up to the meeting. The GC asked Roper if he was armed, and Roper told the GC that yes, he was concealed carrying, but that he could go put the gun in his car. Hafer told Roper that if Roper tried to touch his gun, Hafer would shoot him in the fucking face. (laughs) So this is the settlement conference. (laughs) I... (sighs) Okay. The GC then tells Roper that Black Rifle will not honor the severance agreement and accused Roper of extortion for threatening to bring this sexual harassment discrimination lawsuit against Black Rifle Coffee. Mm -hmm. At this point, allegedly, the general counsel tells Roper that he, the GC, was working with a district attorney to bring criminal charges against Roper. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, 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 JJ, uh is is that threatening uh, criminal action action? to gain an advantage in civil litigation? It sure is. And for those that aren't lawyers, that is like a big no-no. <laughs> that we are not like, allowed to- <laughs> you do not fucking do that. That is a huge no. ethical violation. Holy shit. And you have to be really careful about it, too, because sometimes you like. I there are um, 
lots of uh, like crisscrossing things that happen. And Mm -hmm. it may be very well that somebody has conducted, like has engaged in a criminal activity while you are doing stuff on the civil side with them. But like that shit has to be kind of separate. Yeah, you absolutely cannot. Like we talk about a lot of bright line rules. That's another bright line rule. Like you cannot threaten criminal prosecution to gain an advantage in civil litigation. Yeah. Or in a, in a, uh, in a civil matter. In a civil matter. In a civil matter. Yeah. Not in a civil matter. Yeah. Um, Roper files his breach of contract lawsuit. And so that was where we were when he filed that breach of contract lawsuit. Yeah. Like I said, Utah doesn't put the documents themselves online, but the docket is available. Um, so I checked out the docket and after the lawsuit was filed, Black Rifle quickly filed a motion to dismiss, which was very quickly denied. Yeah. And then immediately after it was denied, the parties filed a joint stipulated dismissal with prejudice. So they settled. So they settled. They settled pretty quickly after that motion was denied. So that's that. But I would like to thank Twitter and our tip uh, for finding this lawsuit because let's just butt butt the shit out of each other is going <laughs> a new to one. bring yeah. me joy for weeks. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, cool. What a great, what a great company, allegedly. Allegedly. Um, it's just, there was so much, like we ran out of time. There's so much there. If you want to have fun, go look into them because it's, uh, there's a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that was a journey. We've been it was on a quite journey. we have been on quite the journey today. We've had uh, quite a spiritual journey between <laughs> all of our topics today. <laughs> I uh, I have the na- the next main topic, and all I will say about that is it has to do with various Florida men. <laughs> And litigation and wanting to get your opposing counsel off a case and the lengths you are willing to go to to do that. I can't wait. We will cover that next time. All right. Thank you, guys. Don't forget to please leave a review. And thanks for listening to this monster extended length episode. (laughs) (laughs) Assign us in more of your classes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)